the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Let us give thanks and pray. O gracious Heavenly Father, on this Lord's Day morning we assemble here in this house of prayer, and we assemble in that holy and blessed name of your Son, our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. That name which is above all names, the name that has brought joy to our hearts when we have received the forgiveness of our sins, the hope of eternal life, the joy of salvation. And this morning we gather and we desire to be reminded from your holy word of these great truths, of the promises that endure forever. We pray, dear Heavenly Father, that you would bless our time together, that you would enlighten our brother who has come to serve, that your word would have free course among us. We pray that you would touch our hearts and that we would be drawn ever closer in the communion of the saints to you. Holy Father, we also are reminded in your word to give thanks for all things. You have blessed our nation with freedoms and liberties. We pray that you would guide the leaders in their decisions. And there are many, even those who are dear to our hearts, even from this congregation, who are serving now in the military. And we pray that your protecting hand would be upon them, that your grace would be evident to them, that your Son would be their hope, that Jesus would be their joy, and that one day you would bring them again safely home to have fellowship with us here again. Thank you for the natural gifts. In our day, there are so many. We live in a time of plenty. We have more, more than we need for this body and life. And we, we know that sometimes we take these things for granted. Oh, Heavenly Father, enlighten us again with that true knowledge that all good and perfect gifts come from your hand. And may we have thankful hearts all the days of our life. Bless those who are suffering. And there are those among us, even here today present, who are in physical difficulties. We ask that you would remind them as well, and all of us, that as Abraham, we are pilgrims. As the saints of old, we are pilgrims and strangers in this world. And we wander about looking with the eyes of faith for a city whose builder and maker is God, a city with solid foundations, that foundation which no other man can lay, which is Christ Jesus our Lord. These things we desire this morning, dear Heavenly Father, to be reminded of through your word. Bless your word, O God. Bless it to us this morning. And hear us as we pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Let us continue with singing number 399. I lay my sins on Jesus, number 399. 
grace, mercy, and peace be from God, our Heavenly Father, and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, multiplied to each and every one of you this morning. It is my good pleasure to be able to bring greetings from Astoria at our small congregation there. And I guess I forget how large a congregation this is and how big a church this is. And it's I almost feel that I would like to have you draw all forward and gather around me so we could could speak or uh, together. But I realize how how many there are here and how difficult that is. But it is it is good to be here and to have fellowship with one another, one of you, and, and with me. But our prayer this morning, as brothers pray, that our Lord Jesus Christ would be that supreme guest that. He could come to be with us, to bring that word of comfort to us, whether it be admonition, whether it be instruction, whether it be encouragement, that word of peace could abide with us and that we could uh, be strengthened in the inner man, that we could uh, yet move forward in this good fight of faith. And that we have the instruction that we would uh, always look unto Jesus for, who is not only the finisher of our faith, but who is the author of it. And uh, who has promised that I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you. My friends, when we are with the children of God, It is easier to confess the name of Jesus. We have all experience. But when we are out in the world, when we are out there in our daily lives, it is sometimes very difficult to confess this blessed name. And we know that the word of the Lord says that if we will not confess his name before men, neither will he confess our name before the Father and before the angels in heaven. And our desire, therefore, is that we might be given that boldness to speak that which is a blessing to our, each of our hearts, to the loving kindness and tender mercies of our God, who would reveal to us his own Son as a propitiation for our sin, and not for ours only, but for the sins of the entire world. And that even this morning, as the scripture says, we live and we move in him, and in him we have our being. And his promises to each of us that it is his good pleasure to give to us his kingdom. This is a big book that we have. Many words in it. But... This book also says that even if a man were a fool, he shall not err therein. And therefore, my friends, we have all had to become fools for Christ in his sake. You know that that great mystery, that hidden mystery, could open unto us. Because not many wise men, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But he has chosen the base things, the weak things of this earth, to confound the mighty, to bring to naught that which is of man. 
And the purpose of it is that he might receive glory for it. Because God has promised this gift of salvation not to the proud, not to the strong, not to the mighty, but he has hidden this matter to those who have, by God's grace, by the power of the gospel, to the love of Jesus Christ, become childlike. As children, we have had to believe. It is as children we have continued to believe. And all the promises of God's protection and safety and superintendence is with us, and he will honor that promise. I have thought this morning that we might take part of the scripture, and it's quite familiar to all of us, I believe. It is found in the second letter of the Apostle St. Paul to the Corinthians. Um, the fourth chapter, reading from the beginning of the chapter, Therefore let us hear the inspired word of our gracious God. Reading in Jesus' name. Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not, but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. Amen. And may God add his blessing to the reading and speaking of his word. This ministry that we have is a glorious ministry. It is that which God has uh, in his great love bestowed upon us in order that we might reach that eternal home. Without this ministry, would not be, we would not be able to find God or understand what his promises are. But he has granted to us that ministry that bears with it the very power not only the authority of Almighty God, but the power unto salvation. And therefore the Apostle St. Paul writes in such a beautiful way when he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, because it is God's power unto salvation to the Jew first, but also to the Gentiles. And herein is the righteousness of God revealed. And so it is in this ministry, and what is that that we have received? But that testimony that tells us of the good news, it's not really news that we have in this ministry, but it's good news. And that good news is news to you when you have found that to be useful to you. When he has been able to reveal to you that in the blood of Jesus Christ, 
those ugly sins and transgressions, that unbelief, that guilt, is all buried in the bottomless sea of God's grace. He does not remember it anymore. It is gone. It is that which he has taken from us and removed as far as the east is from the west. Limitless. And that is the ministry that we have been given to declare. It is in the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. As the apostle says in another place, you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. And that's exactly, my friends, where he has found us. Exactly dead in trespasses and sins. We know that one who is dead has no power of himself. He has no power to ask. He has no power to receive or to believe. But God, by the quickening power of his spirit through his word, accomplishes a miraculous thing for the human race. And he grants us to hear the gospel message. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Because we cannot hear the gospel unless God himself has opened the ear to hear. Because Jesus speaks of those people who have eyes to see and cannot see ears, but they do not hear. Their ears are dull of hearing. God has a mighty work to do and he has granted to us in the blessing of that gift of the preaching of the word, the ministry of the word to open our ears. Your little children here have ears to hear the blessed message of Jesus Christ and his love for you. And you heard the minister say to you that I write unto you little children because your sins are forgiven you. And that is what we believe also when we have been made small, when we have become the children of God, we have remained there and we have this assurance that God is looking upon us graciously with forgiveness and love in spite of the fact that we in our body, in our being, we truly in all honesty, we sin every day in word and thought and deed. And there's none of us that can claim goodness and perfection and innocence because the Bible stands against us if we do. The Bible says there is none that doeth good, no, not one. They have all gone out of the way. They have all become unprofitable. There is none righteous, no, not one. It is only in Christ that we have our righteousness. In him we have all things presented to us as a gift. And we haven't earned it. We haven't merited it. It is unmerited grace that we have obtained in Christ. And that gift that we have teaches us these many truths that bring liberty to our spirits. It is a freedom of spirit that we have received in Christ. It is a sanctification of spirit. Such a holiness that is pure that God himself does not see in us any sin or wrongdoing. We see it. And we grieve over it. We're sorry that we are what we are. And we lament with the apostle often. We say within our being, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? 
But then also we say, I thank God through Jesus Christ, my Lord. Because therein is our hope, our life, our strength. And beloved, it is this gospel message that we have received. It is not the written, that is the obligatory um, gospel, that's the perversion of it. It doesn't teach us of some rule of law that we have to live by. But it is an inspiration that God gives by His Spirit to walk in the footsteps of Jesus Christ. Not by obligation, but by the power of God's love. It is, we are constrained by the love of Christ. And there is a great difference between that kind of love, uh, that kind of a fellowship in Christ over that which is driven by fear. There are two methods that a person can conform to some of these outward things that are written in the, in the scriptures. One to be driven by fear and the other to be driven by love. And that driving by fear, it doesn't produce joy and peace and righteousness. It produces conformity to the outward standard that men would have. But that which God gives by his grace in the power of his love, it desires that we be true and honest and upright and righteous from the depth of our hearts. Our desire is that God would first of all cleanse our hearts. Because it is out of the heart of man that all these things happen. Producing uh, evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornication. All these things come from the depth of man's heart. And even if the outward being can be made to conform to a certain standard, the heart doesn't change. It remains the same. Therefore, this ministry we have, it is of the resurrection of Jesus Christ that testifies to us when it says that we are made able ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter, but of the Spirit, for the letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. But if the ministration of death written in engravings and stones was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not steadfastly behold the face of Moses for the glory of his countenance, which glory was to be done away? How shall not the ministration which is of the Spirit be rather glorious? For if the ministration of condemnation be glory, much more doth the ministration of righteousness exceed in glory. For even that which was made glorious had no glory in this respect by reason of the glory that excelleth. It's a comparison. When God sets side by side the glory that is of that which is of the works of the law and that which of the works of Christ. Even though the works of the law, because the people could not even stand to look at the face of Moses, they had to put a veil over his face. There was such glory that was revealed through him. The glory that excels in the gospel message so exceeds that it was as if that glory was uh, non-existent or had had no glory at all. We might compare by saying, if we've never seen the sun, the moon is exceedingly bright light. Come out of the darkness of a cave, it's extremely bright light. 
But my friends, when the dawn of the sun appears, the moon's light is obliterated in the light of the sun. And that's the light that we walk by in the, in the kingdom of God. It's not the light of the moon that is reflected through our minds, the knowledge of God and his requirements. But it's the light of the gospel message that enables us to receive the power from above, to walk in the footsteps of Christ, to abide in him, to deny ourselves and walk soberly in this present world. This is the power that we have received. And it is not only that we walk and that we found that this ministry has come to us in the beginning as such, that it's brought to us to the place where we have come to recognize that God is a God that is thrice holy. And there is nothing unclean, nothing defiled, no deceitfulness, no hypocrisy is going to stand in his presence. And so he brings a gospel message to us that declares to us in the person of Christ, his ministers, his servants, God's children in general, have the authority from Christ himself. When Christ himself made the church, he gave the words. When he found his disciples, they're hiding behind those locked doors in fear of the Jews. He comes and appears unto them and tells them, Peace be unto you as my Father has sent me, so send I ye. And he breathed on them and said, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Whosoever sins he remit, they are remitted unto them. Whosoever sins he retained, they are, they are retained. That means to say, he gave them at that instant the power that this gospel message contains. It is the very keys of the kingdom of heaven. What shall be bound on earth shall be bound in heaven, Jesus promised Peter. When he said, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. Because Peter had confessed that he was Christ, the living God. It is on this rock that the church has built the confession of the name of Jesus Christ. And there is a gift given to this church. It is a gift that we would never want to diminish or depreciate, but to elevate and to acknowledge and to glorify. And that gift is that we can proclaim in Christ's stead to the penitent, the defiled, to the sin-sick of soul, to those who are in chains, who are bound in their sins, imprisoned by the works of the enemy of the soul, to them to declare in Christ's stead that believe that sin forgiven, that unbelief forgiven, that guilt, it will take, be taken from you if you'll only believe the words that are declared unto you. It is good, my friends. Look in your song, which you'll see a song number, I think it's 284, where sometimes they said, this is a sectarian teaching. This is a, a Lestadian doctrine that we've taken as though some would pick it out as a, a type of message that is a, for a certain group. Not so. It is the doctrine of Jesus Christ. That song was written, I believe, in 1500. It is the doctrine that never was a question that this was not the doctrine of Jesus Christ and how he administers his grace. It is of the Reformed Church in the latter day that they have found other ways to be saved. Simply call upon God and bring him down from heaven, ascending up on high. But that isn't what the word says, my friend. Neither can we call him from the deep, but he says, The word is nigh thee, even in thy heart and in thy mouth, 
the word of faith which we preach. All those that are born of God are born of the preached message of the gospel. So Peter says, being born again not of corruptible seed, that's man's words, but of the incorruptible seed of the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. God gives us a message that is practical. What does this message tell us? That we're all sinners and we all must come unto repentance. We are to preach repentance and the remission of sins, not only about those subjects, but to preach in such a way that God would give us words that man would be convicted of his sinfulness, to recognize that what stands before him is an open pit, where the worm dieth not, neither is a fire ever quenched, where the devil and his angels are, and where all will go one day that will not receive this Lord Jesus Christ as their own Lord and Savior. The word of God stands true, but it also stands true that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And that little word, so, contains all of the scriptures. He so loved the world that he gave everything that he had in order that he might redeem the lost and the condemned, the oppressed, that he might find them where they are, not in church as a pious, but he found them as sinners, enemies of the cross of Jesus Christ. That's where he has found me and you, my friend. He has found us while we were yet enemies of the cross. And he has lifted us up into those heavenly places in Christ Jesus and given to us a message that is so practical that teaches us that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And he explains what that condemnation that was upon us uh, results in. When he says, this is condemnation that men love darkness rather than light. And that's the problem. It's not only that we do darkness, but we love that darkness from our inner being. And because we have that love of darkness in us, there is no freeing ourselves from it by our own volitional means. God has to take us from that darkness and bring us unto his light. But the light that he brings us to is not that which is a false light. It's a clear light. And that light shines from heaven above as a sun of righteousness. And it teaches us that he that doth truth comes to the light that his deeds would be reproved that they are also wrought in God. So what is our experience as God's people? When he has brought conviction of sin, he has found that he has given us every possible means that we can overcome the power of that sin. Just like when we travel the river over here, we have these aids to navigation. I've traveled it many times in tugboat as we run, come up and down the river. We marvel if we didn't have those aids to navigation, we would run on the sandbars and shoals on the rocks. But these, these lighthouses, these buoys, these markers, they stand there. We have this book that is before us as a chart. And we have the Spirit of God as our compass. In dense fog we travel the river. We have these things that show to us in the radar signal that comes from them. This word that is before us points out that way. And uh, he gives us his word that tells us 
that it is his desire to give to us his kingdom. Now, we can't find that on our own. We're going to have to receive help from somebody else. And God has given us all the helps and all the aids. He also helps us, he said, in our infirmities. And we find that we're exceedingly infirm, don't we? We cannot find the way outside of God's grace, but his grace is so liberally bestowed upon each of us. They calls us by his goodness and his love. He reveals to us that Jesus Christ has come for that single purpose, to save the sinner. And when you find yourself to be that sinner, all of the gifts of God are reserved for you, my friend. How many times do we have to hear it? I know it myself, I've had to hear it many, many times. It seems like it is so hard to absorb, to be able to receive that word of counsel of God's grace and goodness. But the truth is that we make God a liar if we deny his word, and we don't want to make God a liar. But his purpose is that he might draw you. His desire is that he would come into your heart to cleanse you from every last sin, and hypocrisy and deceit and shame. All those evil deeds that oppress you, they're all forgiven and blotted out in Jesus' blessed name. And then what else has he done? He's also given us the article of confession. God has given everything we need so that he might, we might be successful to break the hold that the devil has upon us. To, not to give the devil the advantage, but to give God and his spirit of grace the advantage. Sometimes, my friend, I acknowledge that that article of confession is made into some kind of a meritorious act of piety. And that comes from the pit of hell itself. Because if we begin to use confession as some act of piety, we have not described God the glory in Christ, but we have put it to ourselves. But God nevertheless has given this to us because it is for the purpose that we die to sin. One writer says that it is in confession that we have died to sin. The death of the sinner occurs. And I tend to agree, because where there is some particular sin that has really taken such a hold on us that we have not been able to believe because it was so shameful or something, we have not been able to bring that to the light. But when God, by His grace, has revealed some trusted Christian, because when we come to the grace of God in the, in the gift that He has given to the church and the ministry, God presents our brother in Christ to us as the person of Christ, as a representative, as the ambassador for Christ. In Christ's stead, we acknowledge our sin, our need. He proclaims that sin forgiven to us as Christ and in his stead. By his words, those words of God's grace are administered to us. And we hear those words by God's grace, we receive them in our hearts. He hears the confession of our sin as God hears that confession. He keeps that confession as God keeps it. That's how a sinner is made free, my friend. But it doesn't mean that we have to start confessing thoughts and all these things. The enemy of the soul uses sometimes the word of God to bind in his own ways. But if there's some particular sin that we cannot believe over, this is given for a help to us for an aid to us, in order that we might be successful on the way of life. And we would never want to diminish that gift, my friends. 
Just as all the other things are also the aids, God has given us baptism, whereby we are bring our children to be joined into the congregation, the outward fellowship of believers. This is a gift of God, and all of us here perhaps have received it. I rejoice in this because with this gift comes that we are instructed in the word of righteousness, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I command you, because lo, I am with you always unto the end of the world. And we who have been brought up in the nurture and the admonition of the, admonition of the Lord, we have seen its great value. We also have the communion that we partake of, where we physically can partake of the bread and the wine, the blood and, and the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we have the promise that God gives whenever an altar, you have set up an altar in my name, in the remembrance of my name, I will come down and bless you. Isn't that wonderful, children and grown-ups alike, to have our journey knowing that God continually is blessing us and looking over us. His purpose is that he, we might reach home and he's given us every possible means that we would be able to remain in him if we will hear his word. The problem, my friends, Jesus says, if you continue in my word, you'll be my disciples indeed and you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. Too often the problem is the breach in the continuation of the Word of God. They have found their own way, they have found their own means, it seems more plausible, more logical, more understanding, understandable to go in this direction to find God. God has a means. And when we preach the gospel, my friends, it is not only a general gospel. We preach about faith and grace. We can speak in generalities. But faith has an object, and that object is Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ cannot be separated from the doctrine that is given to us. If you believe my word, if you obey my word, he says. He that believes as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. That promise is the Spirit of God upwelling in us as his gift to everyone who believes in his blessed name. And there's so much Bible to support this. It's not a doctrine that we have to pick out of the, the text out of the context to find some support for our teaching. It's throughout this book. Wherever we look in the major text, I'm amazed always how there's some reference to the very order of God's grace and the doctrine of Jesus Christ. How we become a believer, how we remain God's children, and how it is in practical terms, not theoretical terms, but in practical terms, how a child of God is freed from the power of sin and the devil's work to bind him to that sin. And God is a God who is a God of order. And therefore we desire to follow the order that he has set forth. He then says, perhaps our time is going, but he says, Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not, but have received, but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully. We have been talking about that very issue. What true uh, faith in Christ Jesus brings forth, it's obedience of the Spirit. And uh, 
He says, But by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But then, if our, he says, If our gospel is hid, it is hid to them that are lost in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. If the gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. You know that the preaching of this message of the cross speaks of the work of redemption in Christ. It is foolishness in this world. To them that perish, it is foolishness. But unto us which be saved, it is the power of God. It is a gift of God. God has, in his infinite wisdom, he says his thoughts are higher than our thoughts, his ways are beyond our ways. And how it is that he has chosen to hide this wondrous truth in such a way that he would call the sinner, the weak, the frail, the poor in spirit, all these things to the table of his grace. I don't know the answer, my friend. All I know is that I'm thankful. I'm thankful that God in his goodness has found me in my need and has granted me all the things that I need that I might be able to obtain the assurance of eternal life, the assurance of my sin debt being forgiven and blotted out in Jesus' name and holy blood. All these things he's granted to me as he has granted them to you. And his blessings are to us in such a way that he says, that for we preach not ourselves but Christ Jesus the Lord and ourselves your servants for Jesus sake who am I? I am absolutely nothing but God who is in me is great and powerful he is mighty and willing to save he has given to us in this word the balm of Gilead to set the sinner free He's put out in our midst those wells of salvation from which we may draw water, that water that redounds unto eternal life. All these blessings he's given to us in the words that he says that he are to preach, comfort ye, comfort ye, my people, saith your God. Speak ye comfortably to Jerusalem and tell her that her warfare is accomplished and that she has of the Lord's hand received double for all her sin. This is God's blessing to us, is it not? And we do not understand very much, we acknowledge. We seem to scratch the surface of these blessings. But as we examine them and we meditate upon them, our hearts melt with joy that I can be a part of this great salvation, that I can have part in it, that my soul has been redeemed and that he has lifted me up in those places established me upon a rock, and that rock is Christ, and we establish my goings. When we go in or we go out, we are in him. His blessings attend us, and he promises to remain with us to the very end 
of our days, even unto the end of the world. And so, when he says, And for God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. What does that call to mind to us when we hear these words? For he commanded the light to shine out of darkness. God made all these things that are before our eyes. He simply said, let there be light, and there was light. That's an awesome God. That's what's happened to us when our hearts were open to receive him. It was just as the dawning of that new day, that first day, light shined upon us. And our eyes were opened, our ears were opened. We began to perceive, to hear, to understand. And that is how God works to this moment. Yet it is by revelation how this gift comes to us. We have not been educated under the knowledge of our God to such an extent that by means of training we would know him. God has had to reveal himself to us. Albeit it's important. Study the show. We are to study the word of God. And I would like to stress to our young people, and I am a failure when it comes to this, I acknowledge. I have not read this book as much as I should have read it, but what I have read, I have received joy and comfort from it. I would like to encourage each one of you to take time and read from this book. You will find the comfort and the joy and the strength that you receive from it. You'll never be sorry that you've spent the time, the moments in this book. It will be an eternal blessing to you. Because when the devil comes, he doesn't always come as a wolf baring his teeth. But he comes as a wolf in sheep's clothing. And as the ministers of the gospel, sometimes he'll even come bringing his wares. And when the doctrines that do not agree with this Bible are set forth. If we don't know the word of God, we're in a heap of trouble. It's important, my friends, that when the winds of doctrine, the false doctrines appear, those other gospels out there that come that are not the true gospel, I could not stress it enough because God's word is that which illuminates our understanding and our minds. Even one thing, we've been talking about translations lately, and we know that this book can be put into modern English, but we have to be careful because the devil can take that and twist the word of God and and corrupt it. He tells us there that we are not as many which which corrupt the word of God. But as of sincerity, um, as of God, in the sight of God, speak we in Christ. He speaks about here earlier in the text, renouncing the hidden things of dishonoring, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully. Now, it's possible, very possible, to handle the word of God deceitfully. Therefore, we need to earnestly pray the Lord that he would preserve us in the truth of what is the word of God. This Bible that we have before us, it is shown to be in the King James Version. It is, um, it is the most authentic 
not that there are not mistakes, because whatever man has done to record something, there can be minor mistakes. I, I would have to acknowledge. And words that are archaic or old that are not in use or meaning something different. But God has given even this aid to us. He has given the language as if it's written in prose. And so the very cadence of the language, consonants and, 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 and vowels alternating, so that that word would be imprinted in our minds, even from a young age, in the hearing of that word. Who do you know memorizes modern translations? I don't know of anybody, but I know many that memorize, have memorized the word of this King James Version. I marvel at that, and I wonder, it's also one of God's blessings to us, that we want to preserve that. And not to say that everything else is wrong, but to be careful and research what is based on that which is uh, in agreement with the uh, original text that have been left down for us through the ages. Perhaps we step aside. First of all, he said that this word is not by instruction or to be learned as an intellectual um, understanding of the truth. There are those that can have an intellectual Christianity. They know what the Bible says, but it is never common applied to their own hearts to create anew. Where old things are passed away, behold, all things are become new. Where we have become a new creature in Christ. That's what the gospel performs. Nothing less is good enough. It, it creates a new being, a new creation. Where Christ himself comes to abide by his spirit within our hearts. And so he says, and this by revelation, Paul the apostle said in another place, I didn't receive it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of God. He speaks that in the first chapter of the book of Galatians. But then he said, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. That's the reason why he had done this, my friend, because God saw that he could not receive glory outside of this method to reveal this wondrous truth to these weak and frail earthen clay vessels, that the excellency would remain his, the glory would remain his, and of the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. Then he says, we are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. That's the way it is for a life of a child of God. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live as he writes in the book of Galatians again, not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who gave himself for me. This is the faith that we have. It is a gifted faith of the Son of God. Christ's love, his faith didn't fail. His love, as we have heard before, didn't wax cold beneath the cross nor upon the cross but it shined gloriously there. 
so much so that he could say to his tormentors, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He wept over Jerusalem and said, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how would I have gathered thee as a hen gathers her chicks under her wing, but ye would not. And yet, he comes to bear this gift to us in such a humble way, reveals himself as a babe in the manger of Bethlehem, that helpless little babe. But all the while, the Creator, the one who, who has made all things in such a frail, fragile way, and yet glorious and mighty, this he gives to us when he shows us what he has accomplished for us on Calvary. And then to bring that gift of Calvary to us, it is by the power that he has in himself to lay down his life, but also to take it again when he arose victorious over the power of sin, over the power of death and the devil. May God add his blessing, therefore, to the reading and to the speaking of his word. Shall we close with the prayer and benediction? Dear Father in heaven, we bless your holy word and your name for your word that you have given us today. We ask that you to impress this word upon our hearts, to indelibly write these words upon each of our hearts, that we would not sin against thee. Give to us power in that walk of faith that we could always look up unto Jesus who is the author and the finisher of it. Allow us to bask in the sunshine of your love and your mercy so that our steps would be light and our, that we would be able to recognize the truth of the word that, you're, that uh, you are meek and lowly of heart and that your, your burden is light and so forth as it is recorded there. We pray, Father, that you would add these blessings to us as we now go forward and partake of the noon meal, that you would bless these gifts to us, but especially bless each of us who are gathered here. Bless our families, and especially those marriages that are in difficulty. We know that this is the institution that you have granted to us. You know that you would preserve us as a human race. Be with each of our families. Be with our husbands that they could understand that they are to love their wives as you, O Christ, has loved the church. And allow their wives to also be, as your word says, tells them, to be in subjection to your word. And that they would always rejoice in knowing that your love is upon them and that you will care for them in times of difficulty and in times when the way seems hard to bear and the load is heavy. We pray, Father, that you would be with them all. All of us, the elderly, be with them in their difficult times. When the waves seem to come to break upon the shore, carry them, Father, and bless them. And in the ministry of your word, uphold the hands that hang down and strengthen the feeble knees, and allow your word to go forth with unction and power, so that those who are in need could find help and blessing from it. And now we pray and through the give that blessed blessing, the Lord bless us and keep us. The Lord make his face to shine upon us and be gracious unto us. The Lord lift up his countenance upon us and give to us everlasting peace in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.